We're in a series entitled All In, and uh, if uh, you will tune your heart into what God will be sp- saying to you today, I believe it will be very convicting and very convincing about where you're at in relationship to where God would have you to be, how deep you're in, how close you are to Him, how much you've been willing to sacrifice. Last week we talked about Noah. Noah had a job that no one would want, right? Anybody been to the zoo? He lived in a zoo for a long time. Today we're going to talk about Abraham and Isaac. And I have to begin by telling you that of all the stories in the Bible, this is the one that I uh, have traditionally liked the least. Probably it has to do with being the only son of a father who was pretty faithful to God. And anytime my dad would preach on this subject, it would cause me to behave better for a long time knowing the possibilities that were out there. And, and, and it's an uncomfortable story in a lot of ways, isn't it? If you, if you think about a, a father being asked by God to sacrifice a gift that had been prayed for for umpteen years, 25 years or more, finally God delivers Isaac, and, and, and now God says to Abraham, I want you to take this same son who I promised was coming, this same son who's going to carry out your generational line, who's going to to do the things that make it necessary for what begins in you to continue. I'm going to ask you to sacrifice him. Does it make sense? On the surface, it doesn't. Just think about if you're here today and you're a dad, if God were to ask you, we have some pictures of some fathers and sons, and just kind of, this doesn't seem right, does it? You think about it. Well, maybe that one. <laughs> How can anybody say, oh, that's cute in a picture with Chris in it? It's hard to imagine it. <laughs> And so, we kind of have some questions about this story and about God's choice and, 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 and how God was dealing with Abraham in this matter. It, it, it's different. It's, 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 it's an all-in story, but it almost seems like it's further than we should be asked to go. Uh, I want us to just kind of, I'm, I'm going to, fill in with some scripture, but I want us to kind of watch the story. Uh, I, I think it's such a dramatic story that just seeing it rather than hearing it will resonate more with you. As we get to the scripture, a couple of quick disclaimers. Abraham looks mighty robust for about a 120-year-old man there, didn't he? And I'm hoping, I'm looking that good at, at, at 60. Well, I'm already past uh, looking that good now that I think about it. And secondly, there is no, no scriptural indication that Isaac was English either. Uh, besides that, good, good video. Here's what it says in verse 1 of Genesis 22. It, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. I want you to 
keep that word test in your mind. And said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and they split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Uh, The third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, you stay here with the donkey, lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back together. And Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his own hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father... And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And the two of them went together. And they came to the place where God had told them, and Abraham built an an altar there, and he placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, And he laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, don't lay a hand on your son or do anything to him. For I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, some things that I want you to see in this story that I think will apply uh, to your life. And the first is, how could this happen? Well, there there are a couple of indications that there was more going on here than meets the eye, if you look very carefully. Uh, The first thing is, is right at the beginning of the chapter, Abraham understands and God makes it clear that this is a test. This is just an opportunity for God to see how far Abraham is in. And and the second thing that that we see is is this deep and abiding, unquestioning faith that Abraham has. He's, He's walking across the desert to this place called Moriah, where later the temple in Jerusalem would be built. And, and he leaves the two young men, our servants, standing a long way off. And you know what he said to them? He said, you guys wait here. I'm coming back. Right? No. We will be back. We meaning Abraham and Isaac. And so... 
because of the great faith that Abraham had, even though it looks like this is a cruelty, even though it looks like that God's not going to come through, because of the great faith that Abraham had, because of his knowledge of the character of God, Abraham already knew the outcome, it seems. We'll be back. We'll be back. Matter of fact, this is a story not so much about the character of God as it is about the character of Abraham, isn't it? It's a story about you and I, about what we would be willing to do, how far we would we be willing to go, how far in we are, how, how, how much we believe, how great our faith is. It was a test to see if God was on the throne of Abraham's life. Now, I would submit to you and suggest to you that practically every day in your life, similar tests are being run by your Heavenly Father, wouldn't you? Do you notice God testing you from time to time to see if He's really on the throne of your life? I know your wife does if you're married, right? Yep. Is she really on the throne? You know. Uh, And I think it happens in all of our lives. Every day we're faced with choices, decisions, choices between good and evil, choices between better and best, choices between choosing this thing or God, choices between following Him or straying. Every day there are tests in our life, certainly not nearly as dramatic as this, but sometimes they're heart-wrenching, aren't they? Sometimes it, 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 it takes a lot of courage to follow God. Sometimes it takes a lot of wisdom to follow God. And I, and I don't believe God will ever put any of us in the situation that he put Abraham in. But I do believe we will have other difficult choices to make as we walk through life determining who's on the throne of our life. Now, if, if we were to do a case study on Abraham and Sarah, and, and, and we were to try to determine as a group of people what the most important thing in their life was, you know, what mattered to them more than anything, what, what they prayed the hardest about, what they put the most stock in, what brought them the greatest joy in their life, what would you guys guess it would be? Anybody have a guess? Isaac, thank you. Uh, do I need to spray the congregation with water? Because I've got a little here if, if, if you're kind of slumbering. You know, that, this, this son was the most magnificent thing that had ever happened in their life. This, this child that they prayed for, longed for, yearned for, you know, if, 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 if that's been kind of a, an issue in your life where you've waited and prayed for a child, you get this. You get this. And now this son comes. And, and wouldn't you expect that he was spoiled? Huh? Wouldn't you expect that they doted on him? Wouldn't you expect that anything he wanted, he got? I mean... And now, in, into this setting, this gift 
maybe had become an idol in their life? Is it possible? Or or, are there things in your life, my friends, that God has blessed you with? Are there things in your life that maybe it's your job, maybe it's a material thing, uh, maybe it's just the things that money can buy? I don't know. There are things in your life that have become idols, that have become more important. They kind of supersede your relationship with God. Maybe it's a hobby, an activity. I'm not sure what it might be, but all of us have things that border on being an idol, don't we? All of us do. And it is possible that sometimes our relationships can supersede our relationships with God. We, we think more about pleasing a spouse. We think more about doting on a child. We, we think more about how much I love my preacher, right? I mean, there are all these things that, that, that become a part of our relationships. And, and sometimes if they're difficult relationships, if you're married to somebody and nobody here in this room fits in this category, so don't turn or poke somebody with an elbow or anything, but if you're married to somebody who's difficult to please, I wanted to see if I'd hear anything. If you're married to somebody who's difficult to please, it's very, very easy to start to pump more energy and effort into that relationship than you do with God. Alongside that, some of us have placed ourselves on the throne, haven't we? Some of us have decided, I'm going to do more to take care of me. I'm going to do more uh, to please me. I'm going to worship with me in mind. It's going to be about me as opposed to worshiping God. Do you understand that God is the end-all, be-all? in our lives. The end-all, be-all. He is not a means to an end. We exist to glorify. We exist to worship God. And anytime we start to fall into the trap of placing something or someone else on the throne of our life, anytime anything supersedes that relationship, there is a pretty good chance that God's going to say, place that on an altar. Place that on an altar. Doesn't mean you have to take a knife and slay it, but it means you better get your heart right, your priorities right. It means you better see what really matters. Because when anything else is on the throne of your life, when anything else is something that you're not willing to place under the authority of God, it's when you're setting yourself up for a mistake. We can all testify to that, can't we? When anything else, anyone else, grabs more of your attention than God does, you're setting yourself up for a mistake. And there will be moments, perpetually and consistently, because all of us are susceptible to the sin of idolatry, there will be moments consistently in our lives where God tests us 
as he did Abraham. Where God is looking to see if we're all in. We talk a lot about discipleship. You know the definition of discipleship? A disciple is a follower. A disciple is someone who places God out in front and they walk behind him or they live in his path, right? Discipleship. We, we, we talk about the priorities of our church. Certainly evangelism is a priority. We want to see people come to Christ, amen? amen? And then we want to grow people up in the faith. We want you to move from being a baby Christian to a mature Christian. We want you to grow old spiritually. Amen. That's discipleship. Hopefully, if you've been a believer for a long time, you've grown in your faith somewhere along the way. Amen. And a disciple is a follower. But what happens when you get your priorities out of order, when you're not all in, when there are other things that are more vital and crucial in your life, other people that are more vital and crucial in your life, you're following the wrong path. And if you're not following Jesus, he's following you, right? You've got him in a place you know, and you know what I think about those of us who are here today? You know, there is nobody here who's all bad, right? Man, that took a while to decide, didn't it? There's nobody here who's all bad. There are a few who are close, obviously, you had to think about for a while. And, and so, you know, most of us get this. Most of us want to be all in. Most of us do. And so what happens is we get God out here where he ought to be from time to time, and we follow him. But then something happens that catches our eye, our attention. Something or somebody happens, and we start to turn, don't we? And we start to follow that. Maybe it's a, a new opportunity, new relationship. Maybe it's a, a, a chance to strike it rich. Anybody here against striking it rich? And, and we get consumed and caught up and whatever it may be. And instead of following Jesus, suddenly he's kind of pulling at our coattails, following us, right? You know how I know that happens? Because he doesn't give up on us Amen. when we lose our path. doesn't lose on us. And, and I think in all of our lives... In all of our lives, there will be a moment, uh, a moment of ultimate decision, of tension, of, uh, of choice where we say, you know what, I'm going to be all in, or I'm going to keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And even after that moment, it won't be easy. I know it couldn't have been easy for Abraham to do what he did. Could it have? Even though he had this abiding, certain, solid faith in God, it couldn't have been easy to draw back the knife. But at that moment, he was all in, wasn't he? Is there an all-in moment in your life? I, uh, I, 
thought about this in my own life. I was 21 years old. Not been all that long ago now to think about it. And I had, I had gotten my first opportunity at freedom. I kind of lived a really sheltered life until that point. Uh, you know, it would sneak out from time to time, but mom and dad only had one of me to watch, and they were pretty good at it. But I finally got to go to Birmingham, Alabama to go to school. And so I was making choices without consulting them or fearing their wrath for the first time. And so I started to set my life up in just the way I'd always hoped it would go. I uh, got all of my classes in the afternoon where I could sleep late. Matter of fact, I had this great schedule. I slept from 3 to 7 every day, both times. <laughs> I found the perfect fraternity. It was the fraternity that were, were nicknamed the Chick Magnets. Now, I, I brought that quota down almost immediately by joining. But... I got accepted into law school, knew that in, 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 in all things went the way they should, that I could f finish college and move right into law school and could, could, could become this luc you know, have lucrative uh, job doing what I thought I wanted to do, and I, and I had it all laid out. I was thinking about moving somewhere near a beach and practicing beach law. I mean, I had it set up, and then all of a sudden, God began to put people in my path. One of them was here a few days ago, Willie Rice, a pastor friend of mine, who was my roommate, who said, I need a guy to go preach somewhere this morning, and I know that you're not a preacher, but you've heard a lot of sermons, so you're going. And then other things started to fall into place. And it became clear to me, I knew within my very being that, that, uh, that God was calling me to preach. But I had kind of a different calling over here. And I kind of like beach lawyering. <laughs> you know, that's not a bad gig. And one night, I couldn't sleep. It was one of those nights where you got to decide, you just got to, you can't keep balancing both choices. So I called my dad in the middle of the night. I said, Dad, I think I'm supposed to be a preacher. And he said, oh, surely not. <laughs> I was expecting encouragement. <laughs> he said, if there's anything you can do besides that, then you got to do that because you can't be a preacher if it's not God. It's not God. If you don't know you're called, if you can do anything else, do it. 
That wasn't what I thought I would hear. I thought I said, whoa, my son's following in my footsteps. And yet somehow I felt a peace that I hadn't felt for a long time, maybe never felt before. Because in the midst of that night, in the valley or the mountain of decision, however you want to look at it, I decided to be all in. Now that's not to say that it's been easy. It's not to say that it's always been wonderful. It's not to say I haven't felt like I had the knife in my hand ready to do something stupid to myself or somebody else or that I was laying on the altar about to get rammed a few times too. Because that's not what God promises, is it? What he promises is that he will always provide. Amen. He'll always provide. Always provide. Do you hear me? That when you're all in, it may not be easy, it may not be comfortable, it may not always be pleasant, but it will always be blessed. You see, when you're willing to sacrifice, when you're willing to give up what you really thought was best for you for something that God says is better, the power and presence of His Spirit, the anointing of His Spirit, the baptism of His Spirit will be your constant companion. Now back to Abraham for just a few minutes. Notice Abraham got up really early in the morning to leave with Isaac. You know why he got up really early in the morning? I know. He didn't want to have to ask his wife if this was okay. There's a mother there who went all in too, right? Some scholars say that even though Isaac looked like he was about 12 there, in reality, if you study uh, the the chronological uh, order of what happened, he was probably more likely somewhere between the age of 25 and 37. There's some tradition that says that Isaac even said to Abraham, I need you to bind my hands in case my desire to live is too great. There was a son who went all in as well. It's kind of the forgotten part of that story. I think sometimes we think so much about the heart of God and the character of God that we forget the personality of God. God always provides, and many, many times it seems like his personality dictates that he provides in a dramatic fashion. Can you imagine the scene at the Red Sea? He could have moved a little earlier on that, couldn't have he? Yeah, he could have. And so right at the crucial moment, the the point where if you're watching the movie, you turn your head away because you can't watch, God provides. And so if, if you're struggling right now, 
if you're facing a challenge that seems overwhelming, if you think you've done what you needed to do to be all in, and all of these complications are there, and, and, and it seems like Satan is in the mix, and, and you're troubled, and you're fighting, and you're battling, and, and there seems to be no sign, just wait. Because really the only place that's safe is all in. Amen. That's right. All in. That's good. And God will come when you need him the most. Amen. God will be present and powerful when you need him the most. One more thing. Let me give you a promise about our God. He will never ask you to do something that he's not willing to do himself. You see, what he asked Abraham to do is almost on the same hillside. few centuries later he did himself he didn't raise his hand with a knife but he watched his son climb a cross and bleed out and die to be a sacrifice There was no lamb to take his place because he was the only lamb whose sacrifice would be enough. Can you imagine how much God must love you? Can you imagine how much God must love you? Oh my God. I can't even begin to think about what he asked Abraham to do and what he did himself. You see the cross, you see it so often, we sometimes take it so lightly you forget the anguish there. The sacrifice there. And what it took to buy your salvation. God was all in. And he's never stopped. He's never stopped. Would you bow your head? Close your eyes. And just spend a moment contemplating how much you're loved. How valuable you are to a God who would give his son for you. 
would you think about where you stand before him today, giving him part of you or what's convenient or what's easy, sacrificing a little but not a lot. Would you consider who's on your throne? Would you consider what he's done over against what you're willing to do? Would you determine in your own heart, I can't live without going all in because that's what he did for me. Father, hear our cry. We know how much you love us. There is no doubt you proved it. We respond to your call this morning. God's calls, as, as you sense his spirit, as you feel the crushing weight of his love, maybe your guilt, maybe a change that needs to happen, salvation that you need to claim, communion you need to share, you come as we say. It's time for healing, time to move on. It's time to fix what's been broken too long. Time to make right what has been wrong. It's time to find my way to where I belong. There's a wave that's crashing over me, and all I can do. Is surrender to whatever you're doing inside of me. It feels like chaos, but somehow there's peace, and it's hard to
guys sing this with me. Sing, I surrender all. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take just a moment and I want you to look at the person who's lucky enough to be sitting next to you. And I want you to look them right in the eye and then I want you to say this to each other. I'm going to pray for you to get all in. All right? Right now. I'm going to pray for you to get all in, my friend. And when you have said that, you may depart for whatever lies ahead.